Whoever you are, we welcome you. Wherever you come from, we welcome you. Whomever you love, we welcome you. My name is Kathy Kearns, and I feel privileged to be the service leader for today's service. And joining me today is worship associate Eric Van Bars. And we have special musical guests today, Sonus Parsons, who we will see later. And then we have the Celtic clan. So thank you to our musicians. Our social hall is still temporarily closed, but you're welcome to stay in the sanctuary or right outside to visit for a while if you'd like a social time after the service today. We light our chalice this morning by words by the Reverend Meg Riley. Truthfully, I have no interest in a faith that is not saving people. What's the point? For me, words are important and always connote images beyond the formal meanings, the imaginary meaning of word. I think that's what drove me into the theater. This is the power of literature to transform our lives. And we all hear or know of specific words which can trigger emotional responses. Well, today, we are reclaiming language and confronting our own perceptions of some of the Unitarian Universalist principles, both old and modern, by examining our association with words. Now, I have always had a visceral reaction when the word party is used as a verb, as in to enjoy oneself in a lively gathering, typically with drinking and music. We're going to party, or party. It just makes me cringe and I get a little judgy of the user. For me, party will always be a noun, but I confront my biases and my judgments. The implications of words in church, like hell and redemption, may be steeped in biases and histories, and difficult to, to disassociate from, from the Christian doctrine. Webster defines salvation as preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. There's also the theological definition as deliverance from sin. When viewed as a means to honor the self and advocate for the well-being of the psyche, salvation becomes more of a life practice than a last-minute lifesaver thrown into the waters of eternal damnation. Salvation is about seeing our lives as meaningful. Faith, family, advocacy, even passion can bring deliverance from harm and ultimately to safety. Universalists have denied the concept of internal damnation for over 300 years, so the rejection of theological salvation is not new to us. But can we use the concept of salvation as a life practice? If salvation is practiced as an escape from harm, can the church community be a salvation? Today, we'll explore these questions. Our prayer today, a meditation on hope and love in a time of struggle. In a world so filled with brokenness and sorrow, it would be easy to lose ourselves in never-ending grief, to be choked by our outrage, to be paralyzed by the enormity of suffering to feel our hearts squeeze tight with hopelessness. Instead, this morning, let us simply breathe together as we hold our hearts open. 
Breathing in as our hearts fill with compassion. Breathing out as we pray for healing in our world and in our lives. Breathing in, opening ourselves to the transforming power of love. Breathing out as we pray for peace in our world and in our lives. Breathing in as we hold hope in our hearts. Breathing out as we pray for justice in our world and in our lives. May we know our strength. May we be filled with courage. May our love flow from us into this world. Amen. Blessed be. May it ever be so. All the way back in 1828, the Unitarian Christian William Ellery Channing the so-called father of North American Unitarianism, wrote the following amazing words. Human ignorance is seen in the low ideas attached to the word salvation. People think that salvation is something which another may achieve for them. The word hell, which all persons acquainted with Jewish geography know to be a metaphor, this word has done unspeakable injury It has possessed the diseased human imagination with thoughts of torture and turned their thoughts to Jesus as someone outside them who will deliver them. But the salvation which humanity needs is not from outside things, but it is from the evil within the mind, which hardens itself against love, which makes gain its God, which shuts itself into a dungeon of self-interest, which consents to be a slave and which allows itself to be formed by custom, opinion, and changing events. To save, in the highest sense of that word, is to heal the diseased mind and restore to freedom of thought and conscience and love. The salvation humanity needs, he said, is not from outside things, but from evil within the mind, which hardens itself against love and shuts itself in the dungeon of self-interest. But my life has not convinced me that hell consists of simply bad intentions in the mind, selfishness, and a hard heart. I am sure that some of these problems contribute to the building up of hells on this earth, but my experience, but in my experience, People don't just need to be saved from their minds, but from their conditions and situations. Is it possible that the work of salvation, of abolishing hell on earth as we have abolished hell after death, is something that belongs to us? Jenna Ray McNeil says, the nature of salvation is to provide space, physical and spiritual, in which to function as a human being, And to be saved is to be responsible for human nurture. To be saved, therefore, is to participate in tearing down the structures, imprisoning those who cannot help themselves. Unlike Channing, Jenna thinks that these words need to be applied to read hells on earth, not merely physical ones. And remember... One of the definitions of hell is that it is a place you can't just leave on your own accord. 
So for me, to be saved is not just to tell those people lying in their own vomit on the street to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps and start dancing. Instead, to be saved is to work together to build up on the best possible treatment programs for people broken. To be saved is never to preach little homilies of love to abusive husbands. It is to pack up the the abused wife and move her out pronto. To be saved is to be a real universalist, to say that safety, soundness, and ease, salvation, belong to everyone equally. It is not only, it is not only preach, it is to not only preach against the concepts of torture in the next world, but also to work to stop the torture now and a lack of safety, soundness, and ease in the world. To be saved is to understand the power of mutuality. Salvation apparently is not a topic uppermost in the minds of most Unitarian Universalists. In a 1976 survey, Unitarian Universalists were asked to rate the importance of 18 different religious values, and salvation was ranked last. A 2005 UUA report on our theological diversity doesn't even mention salvation. Perhaps this is not so surprising if we focus on Christian beliefs about salvation, that Jesus died for our sins, uh, a belief in God and Jesus as a path to heaven rather than eternal damnation in hell. Not many Unitarian Universalists believe in the afterlife, so how might salvation be a meaningful concept for our faith? This state of affairs is actually, um, I think, quite ironic if we remember the history of universalism, one of our two founding religious traditions. Universalists rejected the concept of eternal damnation, instead arguing for the idea of universal salvation that we will be saved by God's love. In 1803, the universalists proclaimed, We believe that there is one God whose nature is love, revealed in the one Lord Jesus Christ, who will finally restore the whole family of mankind to holiness and happiness. So why are we talking about salvation today? This service was inspired by a book I read called Testimony, which is stories of people who were saved by Unitarian Universalism. As Meg Riley says in the book preface, as an adult, I know it is just plain hard to be a human being and live a positive life, and I am for anything that helps people do it. All of us are vulnerable to illness, loss, and being hurt by people we thought we could trust. All of us do things we wish we hadn't and have things happen to us that aren't our fault. All of us disappoint the people we love and betray our own deepest values sometimes. In my own life, healing and transformation have not transpired as one dramatic, tear-filled experience. My own salvation, to the extent that it's useful to talk about personal salvation at all, has been a series of moments that brought me closer to the person I want to be in relationships I trust embodying mutual values. This service is an invitation for you to consider the idea of salvation in light of your current religious beliefs. 
Mark Bellatini suggests that salvation can refer not only to having good intentions and opening our hearts to others, but in helping people who are experiencing hell on earth because they are stuck in conditions they cannot change on their own. So this service is also an opportunity to reflect on how we can create beloved community in our church to promote the healing and salvation of those within and beyond our walls. Later, we will hear stories of people who were, in their own words, saved by Unitarian Universalism. They were saved by communities that made them feel loved, accepted, respected, and embraced. Although I do not have stories of being saved by faith that are as dramatic as those that we'll share later, there are times when I have felt saved by this community. I remember one time many years ago, I was going through a stressful period. I was working full time with two children around the ages of nine and four years, and my husband was working a job that kept him away from home until the evening, so I had a lot of household responsibilities when I got home from work. My everyday life was just hard, an endless struggle, struggle to keep up and feel like I was at least meeting the needs of my children. I decided to attend the church's fall Walden campout, even though my husband couldn't go, and so I was going to be a single parent there. I remember when I arrived at the campsite, I was greeted by the other campers, and I could feel my stress beginning to flow away. People came to help me set up the tent, and they watched over my children. We had shared meals and conversations, hikes and laughs. I felt loved and cared for, and by the end, I felt ready to return to my life with my spirit renewed. The people at the Walden campout probably never realized the gift they gave me. It's just one small example of how other people at church, by manifesting our values of love, inclusion, and compassion, can help save another soul. In our first story, the author is describing the first time that he attended a Unitarian Universalist church. We didn't know where to sit, so we moved up to the front of the worship space, the seats often not taken. <laughs> it was only after we had settled in that I noticed the number of older folks around us. My default assumptions about older Americans kicked in, and I immediately began fretting about what it meant for us as a gay couple to be surrounded by all these elders. If they knew who we are, that we're a couple, they would want us to leave their community, I thought. All souls back then had a practice of passing the microphone around during the first part of the service and inviting guests to introduce themselves. As the lay service leader announced the time of newcomer introductions, I thought, should I say anything? Should I identify us? Yes, I concluded. This was one of my bottom lines. I needed to be bold enough to test whether there was room for us in this community. The mic came around, and I introduced myself and my partner as a couple visiting for the first time. Gosh darn it, I'd done it. Boy, had I done it. My stomach, already suffering that morning, 
began to sink further as there was no applause or greeting after our introduction, just silence. I sat back down and immediately began imagining the stares and scorn that were probably being directed our way by all the elders seated around us. I barely remember the rest of the worship service. I remember singing some hymns. I quickly read ahead to make sure that the words coming up weren't objectionable, which they weren't. I remember there being a sermon, something about community. I remember the whole experience feeling very Christian, even if the content wasn't necessarily so. As the service moved toward its conclusion, I remember clearly thinking, well, the content's okay, but this was probably a mistake. I'm sure they don't really want us here. I resolved that as soon as the service ended, my partner and I would immediately head out the back door. No need to prolong this nerve-wracking experience. The service ended, I grabbed my partner's hand, and out we headed down the church's central aisle toward the back doors. Until, that is, one of the grannies in a row behind us shoved her walker in the aisle, blocking my way out. (laughs) She got out, looked at me, reached out over her walker, and embraced me in a hug, whispering in my ear, I'm so glad you're here in our community. Welcome. It was all I could do not to burst into tears right then and there. And still, decades later, I weep at remembering how welcome and love she made me feel at that moment. To me, it was radical hospitality embodied. Every fear I had about being in that space with a community that I did not yet know evaporated in that moment of unbridled, unhesitant welcome. Every stereotype I had about elders not accepting gays and lesbians vanished. It was as as if my own grandmother was hugging me and welcoming me home after a long absence. It was, in fact, exactly that, a welcome back to spiritual community after a very long absence. This next story, the author talks about her slow transition towards involvement in her UU community. One of my new church friends, David, suggested a terrifying prospect that I take my daughter to Summer Institute, SI, a week-long educational retreat on a college campus a few hours from our home and about, with about 500 strangers. By this time, on the advice of another church, I had started, to seeing a, started seeing a personal therapist. Not realizing how these things worked, I admitted to him that I had been invited to this event that was outside my comfort zone. I hadn't even known SI existed until now. Of course, he encouraged me to go, and that's where I found my awesome. I had been to Disney World a year or two before, but there's no magic like SI magic. Here we were in a tiny college town in Ohio, stacked into dorm rooms for the first time. I had been a commuter student in college. And as we checked in, my anxiety was in overdrive. A kind man distributing name tags asked me, what brings you to Toledo for Summer Institute? 
and I blurted out that my friend David had twisted my arm. My greeter laughed heartily. I later discovered he was my minister's dad and was familiar with David's enthusiasm. <laughs> Connection. And we kept meeting people, kind, open people who were not holding back, radically hospitable people with open arms, loving us just the way we are, not hiding anything, and not wanting us to be any more than who we are at our core. People with crazily colored hair, tattoos, shaved, unshaved, comfortable people being themselves. It was impossible not to make connection after connection. We did church every morning and every evening. So much church. All day long, there was spiritual, spiritual practice everywhere, including yoga, meditation, art, board games, and laughter. We found meaning and community in everything. Somewhere along the week, the combination of unity, individuality, learning, worship, education, radical hospitality, friendship, soul-searching, fellowship, food, and more led me to realize that the first principle of Unitarian Universalism applied not only to everyone, but also to me. We affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person. That's not just about how I treat others. It's about how I treat myself. It's about how others treat me. I have inherent worth and dignity. I had listened to a hundred sermons by then, but, it, but I finally felt in that week at my first summer institute, all the listening from all my life came to a sudden comprehension. I am worthy. Before Unitarian Universalism, I sat in the back of life's classroom, hoping not to be called on or recognized for nearly 40 years. Today, I am stationed at the front of the welcome table, understanding the first-timers' anxiety and helping them to find their own natural connections to the church, and helping my church to find those valuable connections to the larger association. People who knew me when find it hard to believe that I am feeding the hungry, helping homeless people find services, marching and singing to counter-protest Westboro Baptists, and considering taking steps to become a commissioned lay leader. Without Unitarian Universalism, the term leader just wouldn't apply to me. These stories of salvation inspire me. While I would not want to deny the agencies of individuals and the ways in which we can often contribute to our own situation through our patterns of thought and how we act in this world, these stories are a powerful reminder of how the love of a community can lift us. At times, it is the beloved community we need. We need the power of love, that universal love embraced by our universalist founders. These stories also speak to the responsibility to create beloved community. Beloved community is not a fixed thing we can establish once. Its presence depends on all of us to create and sustain it. The stories we heard reflect UU communities when they are at their best, 
when people felt not just welcome to be there, but also included, safe, empowered, and accepted for who they are. It is no small challenge to create beloved community in our congregations, to create that space for others to heal and a place where we can seek our own healing. We are all busy people, distracted at times, perhaps by our own challenges. We have good days when we are our best selves and bad days when we fall short. At least, speaking for myself, I know I feel that way. Faithful adherence to UU principles cannot be taken for granted. Several years ago, there was a speaker at Summer Institute who was talking about community. As the theme speaker, she spoke to the SI community every day. She's a famous UU minister, but frankly, I was finding her a little bit boring. Her message seemed so obvious. We should be nice to one another, be accepting, and not be judging of one another. But then she revealed the reason why she was discussing that theme all week, rather than other topics she had planned to discuss. After the first day, people were coming up to her, sharing stories of how their hearts had been broken in their congregations. Instead of beloved community, they had experienced criticism and judgment. They were not feeling saved by their home UU community, and although they still attended Summer Institute, they no longer attended their home church. Salvation for us and others is available. Salvation can be part of our individual spiritual practices, as well as an aspiration for our church communities. What could be more inspiring than lives transformed through the power of love in community? I close with this advice from the Reverend Mark Bellatini. So from now on, if someone buttonholes you to ask if you are saved, don't get indignant. Say, no, not yet, but I'm working on it for both me and for the people with whom I share this planet. Would you like to join me in being a savior? That's right, there is no arrogance at all in choosing to call oneself a savior. It's arrogance, rather, to refuse to be a savior. It's arrogance to refuse to do the work that calls all religious people of goodwill to douse hell here on earth and let the garden of paradise grow once again under our feet, safe, secure, sound, spacious, resistant, and free.
world and greet with love and compassion every man, woman, and child you may meet. Return not evil for evil, but strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, and help the suffering. In all things, look beyond the letter to the Spirit, making your lives a living witness to your faith. And bring honor upon yourself and all creation by working for justice that the whole world may know peace. <laughs>